Part of that is making sure, from our perspective, that there isn't what you'd call like mission drift, which is that you kind of start out with a good intention or a good mission in mind. And over time, because of pressure from other stakeholders and investors, customers, whatever it may be, you get away from that. And so we really look for those types of founders where we know that this is so personal for them and so important to them that even at those challenging points in the road, they will stay on course and, and stay true to that impact because it's, it's so fundamental to them. Welcome back to the Patient Capital Podcast Series, Inside Her CEO Journey. We curated this series because we are curious if there is such thing as patient capital. The guests have been carefully selected based on their work in the capital fund space. Each one of them uniquely operates in what they believe should be patient capital. We have two goals with this patient capital podcast series. Number one, to introduce you to the unique perspective in the capital fund space. Second, once you have listened to the full series, we want you to tell us what is your conclusion? Is there such thing as patient capital? The series started with two part episodes, episode 151 and 152. These two episodes allow us to understand the venture capital ecosystem, how a venture capital is created, how does venture capital operate, what venture capital thinks beyond the possible return from their portfolio companies, and why hockey stick growth is often required by a venture capital. You're listening to her CEO journey, the business finance podcast for mission driven women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi, because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while and you are a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business for good. Today's episode, episode 153, is the third episode in this series. Our guest is Lindsay Boucherle, the principal at Better Venture. We invited Lindsay to be part of this podcast series because Better Venture is a certified B corporation, which means they are legally required to consider the impact of their decision on their workers, customers, suppliers, community, and the environment. We asked Lindsay to share among others, how does a certified B corporation operate as a venture capital, where typically the focus is only the shareholder? How do they balance between purpose and the big return of investment? What is their definition of patient capital? And what processes do they have in place to reduce bias toward female founders? As you follow along with this Patient Capital podcast series, you will hear from the investor, lenders, as well as founder that capital raising is a journey. And getting capital from a venture fund is not the only way, nor it is the right type of capital for every founder. It doesn't matter what type of capital you are looking for. 
if there is one thing in common all the guests share that financial acumen is a must at every point of the journey and the investor expectation of your financial acumen is different for each stage of your funding journey. At the very least, your incoming investor wants to see well-thought assumption built into your financial model. So to help you in thinking through all the assumption you need for the financial model, we have created a guide. This guide show you how to create an improved forecast for future growth. By thinking through the question we put together in this guide, you can incorporate them into your assumption and build them into the financial model. In addition to using the guide, you do have another option. If you don't have time to build a well-thought financial model on your own, our fractional CFO can help you. Connect with us at theprofitreimagine.com forward slash let's chat. Now, let's find out Lindsay's CEO journey. Lindsay Boucherle, welcome to her CEO journey. It is a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much, Christina. I know you are the principal for Better Venture And Better Venture is a B Corp, which is one of my passion type of certification (laughs) out there. Before we dive into more details, let's start with your journey to becoming the principal of Better Venture. I didn't uh, start my career wanting to go into venture capital. I grew up in North Carolina and had no idea what, what venture capital was. But I did start my career in the finance industry and actually spent 12 years working for a large global institutional bank. And so became you know, really exposed to the kind of the power of capital. And we were servicing very wealthy clients, large institutions, and billions and trillions of dollars of assets under management. So that scale became very apparent to me. But for me, you know, with the years, the continued years that I spent in the industry, I was always kind of seeking a greater impact and and like sense of purpose behind all of that capital. And at that time, you didn't really see much of that in the investing world. And then the career and capitalist side, which was within the bank and and really focusing on what I was doing there and always like struggled with seeing how those things could align for me. And so quite early in my career, I kind of decided that I, I wanted eventually to find a way to bring those things closer together. Left my my job and kind of my steady path career <laughs> to figure out like how do I bring these things together? You know, both for myself, uh, for my career. I moved to San Francisco, went to Stanford, and really started to just explore what's at that intersection of capital and entrepreneurship and impact. And it was there really that I kind of discovered that there was this kind of niche, if you will, within venture capital that has that that impact lens to it. And I happened to meet the founding partners of Better Ventures and was just like, oh, wow, this is exactly what I've been talking about and been looking for. And there was just so much alignment in their thesis and what I was looking to do. So it was, you know, a mix of of intentionality and luck and whatever else brings things together in life. I joined uh, three years ago, about three years ago. I know Better Venture just become a certified B Corporation Yeah, we were certified earlier this year and kind of formally concluded the process a couple months ago. Yeah, it took us a little while to get there. It's something we've been wanting to do for a long time. We felt was important. We've known B Corp and and kind of the founders of B Corp and that whole movement for a long time and obviously are very closely aligned in our missions. And it's something that we advocate for our own companies and in our portfolio. 
Well, congratulations on that because I know it's not easy to get like 80 points. <laughs> that is true. It is not easy. There were many steps that you have to do. Well, okay. So personally, I'm going through that process myself. So I understand <laughs> what you have to go through. Based on my experience talking to a lot of B Corp, interview them. I know as a certified B Corporation, it's not a done process. It's really a journey. You always have to look back your process and tweak it and innovate it to make it better because it is a legal requirement to really consider impact in business decision that includes the workers, customers, suppliers, community, and the environment. So I am really curious, how does a venture capital operate under B Corp principle really focus on maximizing value for all stakeholders versus the non-traditional concept, which is maximizing value for the shareholders alone? The interesting thing with that question is that I actually feel like it's easier for us um, because it, it is just inherently built into who we're investing in, what we're investing in, and the type of investing we're doing and isn't a trade-off. We look for both. I mean, we fundamentally believe that these mission-driven businesses are, you know, not only achieving re returns but lead to greater returns. And so, when we look at those B Corp principles, but also just you know our thesis as as a fund and about these opportunities in the market is that these are big problem areas and therefore big market opportunities. I mean, we invest in sustainability, health, and opportunity, which is education and, and workforce development. These are really big problem areas in in the world, in our economy, in our labor markets, and so they're really big market opportunities. We then are also very explicitly looking for and investing in founders who are building a company for the impact. They are fundamentally driven by solving these problems, by addressing these problems, by tackling them, and making a dent and and having an impact and. That is is actually a really important. It's not necessarily enough just to build a, a big company in one of these problem areas, right? Like in in healthcare or, or or in climate. What we are really looking for is someone that is so deeply and personally passionate about and connected to the problem that at every step of the journey of building and scaling this company. That's part of the decisions that they're making, and that's part of their motivation. And part of that is making sure, from our perspective, that there isn't what you'd call like mission drift, which is that you kind of start out with a good intention or a good mission in mind, and over time, because of pressure from other stakeholders and investors, customers, whatever it may be, you get away from that. And so we really look for those types of founders where we know that this is so personal for them and so important to them that even at those challenging points in the road, they will stay on course and, and stay true to that impact because it's it's so fundamental to them. And in doing so, we also find and and we see this evidence in our companies and our portfolio that level of, of of passion and commitment to impact is incredibly powerful in attracting talent to the company. In creating a culture that enables great retention over time, in building different types of relationships with with customers, and in in attracting values aligned investors, and so we really feel that all those things are mutually reinforcing. And so when you ask about 
being beneficial to the company, to our investors, to the communities in which they operate, to the environment. The types of companies that we we invest in, that is built into the DNA of the company, into the technology or the, the business model of the company, and it's built into their ethos and culture. So we really don't see a trade-off. And in fact, you know, we think it allows them to outperform. And so I'd say from a investor perspective, in terms of our investors, that is also why they invest in, in better ventures is because they see that these are big opportunities, but also that they're in some cases overlooked opportunities. And so that focus on mission, both from our side and from the founder side, allows them to feel like they can get you know venture style returns and support making a positive impact at the same time. Venture capital is often seen as putting pressure on the founders to push resources to the limit and really scale the business quickly and then seize the market share. And sometimes they have to, the founder needs to ignore profitability. Ventures looks for the hockey stick growth. Now, I'm curious, how is better venture approach is different while it still allow for mission-driven founders to focus on creating a better world and then not drift from their mission? Some of those things are fundamental to venture capital by nature, which is that to be a venture-backable business, um, you need to be a business that can scale and can achieve a certain level of growth. Otherwise, it may still absolutely be a, a viable business, but it's not suitable for, for venture as, as a form of capital, right? And so just the economics of a venture capital fund are that just as any other fund, our you know ultimate responsibility is to return capital to our investors. And so like any fund, you're looking at a, a business and really kind of if that business can't scale to be like a hundred million dollar business, then it's probably not suitable for venture. And so there is an initial filter of just like not every business is right for venture and vice versa. And that's fine. There are other forms of capital that are equally viable options for a business as they grow. So it is important to understand the nature of as a founder of, of your business and what's the size of the market? How viable is it to, to scale to a, a sizable company? And is venture the right fit? That said, certainly not all venture and not all um, VC firms are alike in that way. And so choosing, if venture is right for you, choosing the partners that you work with um, is incredibly important. And for us, I would say that we are very different in the sense that we, I mean, really at, at no point are putting extreme pressure on our founders to grow at a, at a certain pace or certainly not to do that at the cost of their commitment to impact or building a healthy culture, you know, all these other things that are so foundationally important, both in terms of values, but also in kind of what we believe builds a sustainable, high-performing company over time. So we, I'd say in that sense, are much more patient. We have a really close relationship with our founders of kind of talking things through at every stage. We place a lot of trust with them. I mean, there's a reason that we've invested in them. And so we're providing guidance and certainly are like nudging or, or putting some pressure when we feel it's appropriate, but we are are never, you know, kind of breathing down our founders' necks to aggressively grow. That's just not, that's not who we are. That's not our style. That's not what we believe in. There is though, like we do have as any venture firm, a time frame in which 
like a company needs to grow, right? And so we're not going to, it's not like a, you might think here in typical tech or B2B SaaS or whatever it may be, where it's, there's this, this highly aggressive, intense initial growth period. We don't push for that. And, and we don't see that usually as, as being necessary, but we are looking for, okay, can this company get to, get to a viable size and to a potential exit within an eight to 10 year timeframe, because that's the life cycle of a fund. And so, so, you know, we do have a timeframe component for sure. It's not like never ending patient capital, <laughs> but we are, are by no means, you know, within that, like a, aggressive on growth. I think there's a balance there and, and there's a lot of range of that um, within VC and, and finding the right partners is really important. We're you know lucky to work with and co-invest with other funds that have a similar ethos as we do. And what we're always balancing is what's the appropriate rate of growth for this company in the market that they're in. And so you know growth and, and scalability is is incredibly important, but you know, not at the cost of all these other things. So there's a balance there. And I would say that for us, the way that we look at it is also probably a bit different to other parts of the market in that, you know, we're not investing in consumer. We're not investing in a lot of these markets that are kind of this, where you need to grow that quickly in order to grab market share, because that's the only way that you win, right? And so that approach is, it's not wrong necessarily. It's just not um, the types of things we invest in. So there's a reason why other VCs have to focus on that because in the markets they invest in, that's what wins, right? And so so part of it too is not just to say that we have a different style of venture. It's also just reflective of the areas we invest in. I mean, you know, if, if you're investing in something within healthcare or education or even within climate tech, some of these we're investing at pre-seed. So it's, it's incredibly early. And there is often a longer path to market. You know, there's, there's, there takes a longer period of time. And so there's a lot more patience in that. And then I think there's a point at which when you've got product market fit, when the technology and everything's in place and you've got kind of a good foothold in the market where that accelerated growth becomes really important. It certainly does. But you know we're not investing in consumer goods or social media or like some of these industries. That speed is it's kind of like do or die. So I think that's important to keep in mind as well. It's not just that that's a conscious choice that we make about the types of investors we want to be. That's certainly part of it. But it, you know it's also reflective of the areas that we're investing in. What does scalability look like for better venture? So for example, we're invested in a, a mental health company called Prairie Health. They are focused on, on kind of the psychiatry side of mental health. So you see a lot of behavioral health platforms out there now that are about access to therapy and, and to therapists. And what they're doing is, is really going after kind of the psychiatry piece of that, which is for people who need um, access to a psychiatrist and in many cases also medication and kind of bringing down the barriers to that both in terms of access to care, but also the efficacy of care in terms of the types of prescription, the dosing of the prescriptions, and the ongoing monitoring of that, that person and that patient over time. And so for them, you know, scaling is initially, if you think about it, a lot of these companies have to start direct-to-consumer 
as you're kind of going through the various hurdles of the healthcare system. And so scaling on a consumer level looks like obviously, you know, number of patients or customers, but really what scale looks like within, you know, that sector is, is like relationships with providers on the insurance side with payers. And, and so true scalability is only unlocked once you're able to really build and, and secure those types of relationships, you know, within the healthcare industry. Because of the types of companies that we're investing in that aren't purely consumer and also are in sectors like healthcare where you have complex, very complex systems. So you really can only scale um, if you're able to navigate that and unlock that. My audience are mostly female founders. I'm a little bit curious from your perspective, what have you seen over and over again, common traits that female founders are best at and what can be improved? Part of what I love about this job is explicitly being able to support female founders and um, both in the context of the people that we invest in, but even outside of that, um, I spend a lot of time doing office hours and coaching and things for female founders. So I love that you're focused there too. I would say that certainly one of the things I see, I mean, if I look across founders that I've met, but also across our portfolio is the ability to attract talent and to create an incredible culture. I think that I do kind of fundamentally believe that women as leaders are in a way far more able to be whole in terms of how they relate to the team, how they they create culture, how they show up as both high performance and also compassionate, caring leaders and people. And I think it, it is really like often kind of unique, unique to, to women and to female CEOs, that balance of being brilliant, ambitious, incredibly talented, and, and also being able to be real and be vulnerable and be a compassionate leader. So that's kind of one of the superpowers. I'd say that something that comes up frequently that could be done better. I think that there is still a very gendered tendency for women to kind of undersell themselves, the company, and and be more conservative. I see that, and uh, you know, when I see we talk to thousands of founders who are pitching, right, and it is you know more often than not the men who are painting this very bold vision of the future with a lot of conviction, and often the women tend to be a little more realistic or conservative about how big it can be or, or how exciting it can be or, or their level of confidence in getting there. I would say that's probably like the main theme that I see certainly in early founders and those who are, are going out looking for investment. So as a venture fund, because you realize that women tend to undersell themselves and then their startup or their ventures. What are the steps that you are trying to do to reduce that quote-unquote bias that female tend to undersell? What do you do to reduce that bias? Part of it is putting structure around the process. In the absence of kind of a structured process of filtering founders for investment in, in our context, there are biases that come up in the in even in the types of questions that are asked. And so there's actually been research done in specifically in the venture capital context where female founders were asked different types of questions or differently framed questions than men, right? And so it's this difference between promotion and prevention questions. 
you read the same articles. <laughs> it's really interesting. I, I've yeah, like gone in, gone into all the research on this. We have kind of a, a like a scorecard type system, but what that does is it introduces structure so that we are you know conscious of the questions that we're asking each founder and trying to mitigate bias in things like that, where you might be framing a question in a different way, such that one founder is going to respond in a promotion context, you know, and the examples are kind of in a promotion type question around the market would be like, how big can this market be, right? It's like, what's the kind of the most positive outcome? And a, a prevention type question would be like, how defensible is this with other competitors? And so there's slight differences and they're both very valid questions. But if you're only asking one one type or the other, you're kind of setting up <laughs> the founder or the conversation to go in a different direction. And so being very conscious and intentional about standardizing you know, to a certain extent, like how we're framing questions to make sure. And also before we move forward, there's three of us you know, making investment decisions on the team and we all three need to meet the founders. And so there's also a checks and balances of if one person is... Um, has you know some feedback or is kind of reflecting something back about the founder that the other two or one or whoever it is that can challenge that even just kind of similarity bias or various things that creep into these types of you know split second judgments and decisions that we make about people certainly not perfect by any means but it's something that we're very aware of we also did both for our team and for our founders we did like an unconscious bias and inclusive leadership training. And so it's by no means perfect, but we are and try to be very intentional about it. Well, it's part of the B Corp process. That's that continuous right. improvement, that right? right? Mm -hmm. It's a journey. So it's not going to be perfect. Like even if we talk about one of the famous B Corp, Patagonia, for example, like they just released an article recently talking about their carbon footprint. And then they admitted that they are not there yet. But It's not about they are not there yet, but what action are they taking? And then I think I take it as a similar concept. Like you said, it's by no means it's perfect, but what step and process that you are taking to really reduce that bias and for us to help more female founders receive venture funding. Granted that their business is venture. The next question that I have for you, it's about level of financial maturity. So what level of financial maturity are you looking for in startup founders? We're often backing very technical founders, either from a engineering technical perspective or a science technical perspective. So many of them are PhDs and we don't expect them on top of that to also be kind of like a CFO level financier. But that said, like, you know, if they're going to be building a business and running a company Like we do want to see that they have a sufficient understanding of and an acumen for the fundamental financials of running a business. So I'd say that we do, as part of our diligence and our process, we do like kind of check and ask for their financial models of, of the company. Those obviously, we're not looking at what are the exact numbers coming out of that because these companies are so early that that's frankly, all going to change over time. And we know that, um, but it's more, how are they thinking about it? And that is, that's important. It is really more about their kind of ability to understand the mechanics and the economics, you know, of the business and of the market. And 
how that needs to work over time more so than, you know, we're looking for like really developed uh, financial or, or like, you know, kind of tactical modeling skills or anything like that. But, but certainly like they do, if they're going to run a company, like they do, you know, need to, to have a very like intimate understanding of, of what that looks like in the context of their business. So um, we do look for that. This podcast series is all about talking about patient capital. Is there such thing as patient capital? And if there is, what is your definition of patient capital? I think that there's patience in the sense of time frame, And then there's also patience in understanding like the balance of scaling and building a company in a, in a healthy, sustainable way. I think there is patient capital within venture. But I think that first question is like, is that is my business suited for venture capital? And if so, then it's finding the right partners within that that are aligned with you in how the type of company you want to build, how you want to build it, and also cognizant of what growth looks like. We've invested in a very early pre-seed company called Refibered, and, and they're tackling the problem of textile waste and recycling. And so they're incredibly early and it's going to take them you know, a while to work through and validate the rest of the technology and to scale up. And we know that and we're on board with it and we love what they're, what they're trying to do. And so part of it is the, the ethos and kind of that cultural fit between you as founders and your investors who are ultimately should be partners. I mean, they're long-term partners. And so just as you would evaluate any other kind of long-term relationship or partnership is, are you aligned? Are you on the same page? Because that either can be something that really supports you and, and helps you as a founder, or it can be something that introduces a lot of friction. And obviously, it's not always as easy or straightforward as that. Fundraising can be really hard. And sometimes, you know, you just need money in the door. And there's nothing wrong with that, that either. But, um, but that alignment is really, really important. So how can founder know if their startup or their venture is venture backable? Is it that $100 million market or not $100 million market, but hundred and they can grow into a $100 million business? I think that's a good way of just starting to think about and do a bit of a gut check of, is my company in business? Like, can it be that size of business? And also there's another question of like, do you, do you want it to be, you know, mm -hmm. and that's fine too. You know, I think that like we've created this notion that that's, that's the benchmark of success or something. And, and that's not the case. It's really not. I mean, it is perfectly fine and, and like equally great um, to be a founder and say, you know, I want to grow a business and, you know, it might be a, $30 million business. And that's fine. Like, yes. you know, $30 million it, is still a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like, or, or 10. It's kind of looking at, looking at the market and the industry you're in, you know, what are some of the comparables? You know, it's kind of like your role model companies, right? Like, like, what do you want to look like when you grow up based on that? What's the right strategy for me? And what's the right type of capital for me? There are companies that have bootstrapped or, or taken on debt or done crowdfunding. I think just being very, very reflective and, and kind of self-aware about yourself as a founder and the type of company that you want, want to build and seeing if that feels like the right fit. Because there are lots of different paths to get there. Even if you work with 
great investors and really values aligned investors, it is a different kind of of pressure to have external investors and to be be expected and within some time frame to be a big company that gets to an exit. So, Lindsay, is there anything else that you want to share with my audience that I haven't asked you? I would say is just, you know, I'm I'm sure people listening are probably at various stages of their journey. I mean, maybe thinking about starting a company um, in the midst of starting one at a high or at a low in, in that process. And, you know, I would just say to kind of, you know, listen to and, and stick to what feels authentic to you and, and really your own personal mission with what you're trying to build and try not to get too swayed by what other people are doing or, or kind of what's in the market. Staying true to yourself as a founder and, and why you're doing this. There's a lot of noise and kind of like what we just talked about with raising capital, there are a lot of different paths to get there. And I think th- those that are most successful are aware of and stick to what works for them. So Lindsay, thank you so much for being here. This has been a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you too, Christina. I really enjoyed it. Where can people find you? I mean, for Better Ventures, um, check out our, our website. It's www.better.vc. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay Bouchero or certainly on, on LinkedIn as well. Thank you so much, Lindsay. And that's bring us to the end of another show. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. If you want to create a proactive financial plan and process for your business, so you are ready to weather the financial storm over the next few months. Let's chat and see what's possible for you. Book in a time to speak with me at christinashahli.com forward slash let's chat.